Welcome to episode number 156 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording April the 3rd, 2022. My name is Eric, host of the show based in Southern Ontario, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and of course, computer geek. Uh, as a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events and started a small preparedness company to help people better prepare for at least 72 hours, if not longer. I'm Carmen. I'm in BC. I am a micro-homesteader, wife, general domestic guru, and I love sharing my knowledge with others and everything from canning to throwing an axe. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, that's why she does not get harassed. <laughs> not on <in> my land. <laughs> I'm Scott, a first responder from Ontario. I like learning things, and I worry about our fragile infrastructure. And I'm Jeff, and I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. I'm Alex. I'm in eastern Ontario. I'm a homesteader, carpenter, and uh, amateur bushcrafter. If you want to help support the show and keep Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good or bad, or just if there's a topic you want us to cover, you can send us an email at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, budding content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, some recent news articles, then we're going to get into what we've done for our preparedness since the last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic of uh, spring planting, getting your gardens ready. So let's move into the news, shall we? All right, so I've got an article here just in relation to prices in Germany uh, are looking to be jumping between 20 to 50% as of tomorrow. Um, so just kind of a sign of the, the times and uh, inflation, and I'm sure it's coming this way as well. So uh, the, the warning signs are out there. And that's a big jump. Yeah, well, it'll, it's going to come here, no doubt. Um, yeah. And that sort of relates into my article. Uh, it's an old article. But I've done some digging and apparently it's still valid policy, so I think it's still relevant. And that's basically the uh, Biden administration is paying U.S. farmers not to farm. So uh, <laughs> it's a conservation type initiative. Um, and basically there was a, a conservation reserve program that started in 1985. And its uh, basic idea was to reduce agricultural runoff into streams and rivers preserving wildlife habitat and preventing erosion. And uh, now again, this article is from 10 years at a time and apparently they are uh, gonna continue to rent those farmlands, but they're not gonna plant anything. So- Oh, wow. Um, that's interesting. Uh, like with, with all of the shortages that are coming, you would think they would wake up and say, you know what, maybe we should have a second look at this policy. Yeah, we want to prevent all this bad environment stuff, but we still got to feed people too, so. Cheapers. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Uh, is out the window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in space weather news, there was another major solar flare this week. Um, it, I think, actually rated all the way to an X-level flare, which is quite impressive. Uh, no damage, but the sun is certainly getting more active. Um, so I put a link to the Space Weather Prediction Center at NOAA 
in the notes. Um, and uh, the news article has some stunning photos of the flare by some of uh, the, the solar uh, observation satellites that they have up there. So that was pretty cool. Second article, uh, talking about the Russian military using commercial radios and ham HF frequencies unencrypted. A uh, couple of very, <laughs> yeah, various reports say they're being spammed. Uh, I've read heavy metal, K-pop, uh, a couple of <laughs> So when I Googled uh, looking for this story, so I'd have the link to put in the notes, uh, one of the things I came up with was a Reddit article listing all the frequencies that the Russian military was using. So anyway, uh, just found that interesting that they uh, mentioned specifically Baofeng radios. <laughs> yeah, I, I had heard that those, uh, the Baofengs had committed uh, an appearance over there. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, just use what you got, right? I heard they have a song on repeat that they're trying to just switch channels and trying to find the Russians again when they switch, and it's like a song that keeps oh, repeating boy. over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I go crazy. Oh, <laughs> That's well, what I, I read. You, just you just, you just play uh, the song that never yeah. ends. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, and just keep it going. Uh, if I get some time this week, I think I'm going to fire up a web SDR and see if I can listen to some of those frequencies that. Uh, that you're talking about on Reddit there, because that might be entertaining to hear. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> Alex, do you have anything you want to talk about for the news section, or shall we move on? Well, I, I don't want to shill for the news station that shall not be named, but uh, it is newsworthy to note that here in Ontario, uh, we've had two uh, mass uh, death situations amongst uh, small flocks of chickens due to a confirmed avian flu. And when I did have my vet out here on Wednesday and asked her how concerned I should be about it, she's like, well, it's not here yet, but you should definitely be, definitely be cautious and uh, look out for the, the signs of mass casualties and call in any of your birds that, uh, that just you find dead. I happened to find one dead and called in the number. They said I should be fine uh, if it's just the one because, you know, chickens die. But uh, it's definitely something to keep a lookout for uh, small flock owners. Good to know. All right, shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? Sure. Yeah, so with everything going on uh, in the world and Ukraine and whatnot, I've been thinking about cyber attacks, EMPs and stuff. Uh, so I've been trying to make sure all my digital backups are uh, sort of well looked after and take a couple of things offline and uh, playing around with some of the Faraday boxes. Um, so I've got a couple of different techniques that I've been playing with and sort of seeing what I can get to work. Uh, Re-listen to our What's in the Box episode to get some ideas for like, what did I mean to put in the box when we were talking about that last time? <laughs> uh, so, you know, I've been playing with Bluetooth, um, sort of Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and cellular just as, you know, it's not perfect testing. Um, but I actually drove up to uh, one of the cell towers around here, so I had like amazing cell signal just to see how much I could block with it. So, tinfoil in a pelican box actually works pretty well. So, is it uh, tinfoil for your hat or actually part of, the, part of the box? I buy it in bulk, so you know. <laughs> so both, got so it. So both. Costco pack. Uh, yeah. uh, and then uh, with uh, with the season coming in this episode, I've been thinking about gardening, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm not the expert, so I've been thinking about gardening and then come and learn some stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nice. Jeff, anything for you? Not really. It's been a been a, a slow week for me, so. Yeah, fair enough. 
for myself, and I swear Scott did not put me up to this, uh, <laughs> slowly starting to uh, amass some bits and pieces for uh, building, possibly building a gasifier. So I was able to potentially hunt down a 100-pound uh, propane tank we can use and uh, slowly picking up other bits and pieces as we go. So we'll see. It's a, it's a plan anyways. It might happen. It might not. But... Uh, it has start, begun. Least, it ha the part, the parts have at least started to appear. So we'll see. Excellent. <laughs> the plan is in full motion, Scott. No. Th that's that why you came back for this creepy. episode. Yeah. yeah, that's why you came back for this episode. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, it's not for the carbon monoxide. <laughs> no. Oh, eight minutes fifty-five oh. seconds. There it is. <laughs> that's uh, that's it for me this week. <laughs> Well, I have been a busy little bee. I am planting seeds. I am building garden beds. I've done some canning sessions with potatoes, taco meat, um, some mixed up veggies. I did some carrots again. Um, I also did an inventory of the pantry and I'm like, ah, I need more veggies. <laughs> and uh, I have four more garden beds to finish up and build this next week. Um, several trays of seeds are ready to go and I've got some seedlings up already and Oh, the season has begun, and I'm still trying to convince my husband that we need a meat source in our yard of some kind, and I kind of want to do bunnies, I think. <laughs> All right, then. I've, I've been uh, into a little bit of everything lately. As soon as the snow melted, I was digging fence posts for the new barnyard and the, finishing the fence before the new neighbors get here. And uh, I got the meat chickens arriving in uh, 18 days, so I'm building this year's uh, version of a chicken tractor. I'm putting wheels on it this year. No more slogging that through the mud. Uh, yeah, just a little cleanup. Spring cleanup is is on the homestead is in full swing, and uh, you know it'll it'll dry up, and we'll be able to get some work done, and then it'll rain for two days, and then I'll have to wait another three another three after that for it to be dry enough to walk in. And yeah, it's just a mess out here, so I'm trying to get stuff cleaned up for spring planting much like carmen mm -hmm. nice a lot of work right. well speaking yeah. of spring uh, spring planting shall we move into the main topic sure all right well we'll <laughs> let you take uh take the reins here carmen and uh you can run with it since you're our resident expert on uh on gardening and well as we go, we'll ask some questions done it my whole life so <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is that all? Well, I guess we'll just carry That's on all. to another episode then, I suppose. Yeah, you're unqualified then. <laughs> I think I was, there was a toddler eating the raspberries, so <laughs> yeah. pick one for mom, pick one for me, right? Yep. So um, I do love this time of year. This is my favorite time of year when everything's growing, plants are coming back alive in the garden, you're starting to see what survived the winter, um, and of course the seedlings under my light system are just starting to pop out of the soil, and it's... I just can't explain. <laughs> As a gardener, you just want to be in there. Um, there are so many things to choose from in gardens these days. It is the choice is yours. You can kind of do whatever you want these days. There's hundreds and hundreds of varieties of veggies to pick from. Even some rare Asian seeds are now quite popular, even in like stores nearby. I have now. Um, for those of you who are starting a garden or going on a decade or more kind of a thing it's still a challenge to pick what plant and what things to focus on um oh i just lost you guys i don't have anything are you guys still, there? still here oh, if you can sorry. Hear us. Yep. 
I, it just went blank for a second and it flipped for me. So sorry about that. Just wanted to make sure I was <laughs> still talking, oh. I guess. I don't mean to like expose here, but I'm just going to chit chat real quick. And then I, you guys have a whole bunch of questions here too. So I do want to put my two cents on the table here um, that we should all be planting at least three or four things this year. Um, potatoes being the survival food, you can survive off of just eating potatoes. It has been done. There's a guy who did it for 379 days. Um, he did huh. lose some weight, but his weight balanced out at about 180, I believe, and he was a six-foot-tall man, so that's still pretty skinny. But um, you can survive off of just potatoes if you had to. So it is one of those survival crops that I would have. The next would be a dry bean of some kind. So your pinto, your navy, your castellette beans. Plant a whole bunch of those. They're nice little bush, bush beans. You don't need a trellis for them. Just plant them right in the dirt and keep going. And lastly, some kind of root crop like carrots or beets or that kind of a thing that can be stored in like some damp sand in the cold room over the winter, that kind of thing. Something just to keep, you know, teeth sharp, as they say. <laughs> um, if you do have more space, add in corn and winter squash. Add on your onions and your tomatoes. Um, of course, in the fall, you'd be planting garlic in your in the fall. Um, of course, then there's cucumbers, peas, all the other guys after that. So you can kind of add on to your heart's content. I do like to have a herb garden just for flavors, for dehydrating your herbs, for your own herbs. It is a lot nicer than the store-bought ones. I find store-bought ones are very, very dry. They don't, they kind of lose some of their flavor there for yourself. So... If you do have a lot of space, invest in some fruit trees, invest in uh, some shrubbery like blueberries and raspberries. And of course, even a small six foot double row of strawberries will get you about six jars of jam if you collect everything, freeze it, and then process it in the fall kind of a thing. Um, all of these things can be canned, dehydrated, stored away for long-term storage, mixed together for meals, or even eaten on their own right out of the can. I do wish everyone this year would start a garden with these food shortages that are happening, it might just come down to you eating potatoes at some point. Um, so I do fear that a lot of people are going to go hungry with this shortages. And I am planting extra this year in order to give out to family and friends and co-workers kind of a thing. So um, it'll never really go to waste. As soon as you bring something to work with you, they're just like hordes. Oh, it's from your garden. I want that, you know. Um, but I do hope everyone plants a garden this year. I guess that's question time. Right. <laughs> that's just my statement. Plant a garden. Do yep, it. There we go. That's that's the end of the episode. Plant a garden. We're done. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start it off. I've just got one one question, considering that I am uh, a non-green thumb. Uh, pretty well any plant that I touch seems to just die. So uh, what is the best slash easiest to grow for a non-green thumb? So it's all about your soil, Jeff. So if you get your soil right, you get your environment right, and those plants can't help but grow. They're one of the first things on the planet way before us. So, um, But beginners really can't go wrong with potatoes. You put them in the dirt, you water them, you keep an eye on them. They're going to come up, they're going to grow, they're going to do their thing. Same with beans, cucumbers, and most of the squashes do the same thing. Plant the seed, they come back up. Um, pretty hard to kill, actually. I've got <laughs> zucchinis that self-pollinated and had seeds out in my garden, so I must have left the zucchini out there, but there's baby zucchini plants coming back up again. Um, things like carrots and any of the root vegetables, also very easy. They just take a little bit more process when you actually start the seeds kind of a thing. But yeah, potatoes, beans, cucumbers, and squashes are pretty self 
they do their own thing. You just got to give them the right conditions more than anything. And that's pretty basic. That's a nice, good, deep, dark, as I call the black soil, composted soil, that kind of a thing. You want to have that. And then you want to have a water supply and lots of sunshine. And after that, you're just keeping an eye on them every single day. <laughs> All right. I'll be reaching out for a little bit more advice when I get my, uh, my raised gardens built which is going to be coming up in the next week or so. I'm going to build can, a few raised gardens. So. You can also cheat on your first year of gardening and just buy starts at the plant stores. So you can buy baby zucchini plant, baby cucumber plant, baby broccoli plant, baby everything, um, except for uh, you can't get baby carrots or that kind of a thing. You have to actually do those for seed. But mo you can get a lot of things as babies at the garden center and then practice your growing from there. And then maybe next year, get some lights and start planting indoors ahead of time. So you have a longer season, a longer harvest. So. Okay. So on that, on that question then, so I do have another mm -hmm. question then. Um, just for something for, for the winter time, I've bought uh, or inherited an arrow garden. Could you actually use that to start your seeds? You could. Yep. You okay. could use that. Could grow some romaine lettuce inside the house. Have it for a salad. <laughs> That's that's kind of the idea when that when it goes out there. It's easy to grow. You can have you can plant the seed, and I guess five weeks later you'd be harvesting for your salad. So oh, it's very that's quick. quick. Wow. It's very quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good to know. And there's mini romaines now. They only grow like four or five inches high, and you just cut them off, and it's just enough for a salad. They're so oh, look cute. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Do you want me right. to continue with some of Darius's questions there? Eric, yes, I was going to say if we want to if we want to get into those, we can uh, we can start out with the first one. Just um, an understanding of zone numbers because I know that's something that you hear about uh, in regards to your growing area. If maybe you could help mm -hmm. explain what's behind that. So, for instance, I'm in a five B six A type zone, which means in the winter time I get down to minus twenty to minus twenty four sometimes. And I will have that cold period happen for almost about a week or so. So it's really about the hardiness of the plants in your zone. So if for anything that lives year after year, like your trees, your shrubs, your um, some of your perennials, like your daisies and stuff like that, they all have zones. So they all have that maximum temperature that they can freeze to and still come back the next year and survive. So when you're talking about zones, you're talking about how cold it gets during the winter. That really has nothing to do with vegetables until you have that frost date. So there's the frost date of when the frost leaves and then when the frost comes. And that growing window, every zone has so many days, for instance. So in a, a 7B zone, like in Victoria, where Ian is usually, um, he's got a huge growing zone because his frost date doesn't happen until November and it leaves in March. So he's got that whole year to grow within with no frost happening. So anything he grows in that season can grow and not have a frost burn or anything like that. Where I am, my last frost day is about May 1st to May 15th, roughly. So around there, I won't have any more frost after that. I can plant seeds in my dirt and not have to worry about anything coming up and being killed off by a frost. So, and usually you plant your potatoes or your sunflower seeds two weeks before your last frost. So I'm coming up to my potato planting section pretty soon here. Um, and things like tomatoes and peppers, you want to grow, start growing them eight weeks before the last frost if you're growing them inside. If you're growing them outside, you have to wait till that last frost date happens before you plant that seed and you will have a shorter time of harvest. So. That's what zones give you is that time of growing. 
I assume this is all published somewhere on the uh, the internet. Oh People yes, can look it, it up for their thousands their of articles. Areas. Yeah, there's thousands of articles right. about it. But where your area is, and your local garden center will know exactly what zone your area is. Perfect. So that's that's probably a good spot to start. Mm -hmm. Figure that out, and then expand out from there. Right, awesome. Uh, his next question is: What options do I have when my yard is surrounded by acidic fir trees? These don't affect the soil as much as you think. They kind of directly below them, it will affect it because there's so many needles falling on that earth. That earth. Um, but even 10 feet away from a tree, you're not going to get see that many needles on the earth there. And they're not going to get mixed in that kind of thing. On top of that, most vegetables can handle acidic soils. It's when they get too alkaline that they start having issues with root development and things like that. So more acid is kind of okay. Think of peat moss. Peat moss is very, very acidic. And a lot of people put peat moss into their mixes for compost and things like that. So it's not as bad as you think. Plus, over the years and over the time of you adding compost and adding things to, your, um, to amend your soil, that soil is just going to get better and better, whether that fir tree is right there or not. <laughs> so it does kind of cancel itself out. Well, that's good to know. Right underneath the tree, yes. Like with needles dropping on your plants, no, you're right. in trouble. So, so avoid underneath, but anything in, in and around should be all right. You should be okay. Yeah, good to know. Uh, best plants that will survive a rapid uh, weather changes, so both extreme hot or extreme cold. Uh, this is, there? <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> It really depends on your area too. It kind of depends on, is it a baby plant or is it in your harvest? Is it almost done growing or is it or just starting to grow? Um, that being said, it's very hard to fault potatoes, squashes, any of the root vegetables. They are under the earth. They are not really affected by what's going on up above. They might have some issues here and there. Like carrots really don't want to get too hot, but they can take heat if they need to. It's just they need to have moisture in that case. Does that make better yeah. sense there? Um, yeah, and then, like, most of the things will just keep taking along because they're mostly root vegetables, leafy vegetables. It all comes up to your, whether you're watering or not when it comes to heat. And when it comes to cold, there's frost, and then there's that's it. <laughs> gotcha. So you're either, you can go right down to, like, you know, plus 2 degrees Celsius overnight, and they won't die. But if you go to minus 2 Celsius overnight, they will die. So... There's a fine line in the sand there where they're just not going to come back, especially so tomatoes. It, tomatoes like to just like. <laughs> <laughs> so it boils down to, again, just kind of researching what it is that you want to grow and matching it up to your zone. Exactly. And, and then deciding from there what, what's going to survive best in your growing zone. Uh, so and You can yeah, probably find out research. from your local nursery also what's like, hey, what's the best thing that grows here? A lot of people will have you've maybe seen gardens that you've driven past and you'll recognize, hey, what's that plant? What's that plant? Right. You can also ask any other gardener will help you. We're very helpful people <laughs> that way. Good to know. Yeah, it never hurts to, to talk to people and ask because there's resources around you. It's just a matter of not being afraid mm -hmm. to ask questions. And it's certainly not like it's a competition, I'm sure. <laughs> like, no, yeah, it's not. Gross. If anything, the only competition you have is like at the local fair where I've got the biggest zucchini or the biggest pumpkin. That's as competition as gardening gets. Otherwise, it's like, oh, have you tried this or have you tried that? Oh, try yep. this this time. It's constantly feeding itself. If you know someone down the road that has a kick-ass garden that you saw last year, go talk to them when they're out in their garden. Say, hey, I saw your garden. I love the look of it. Can you help me with the question I have? And they will be right there at the fence telling you what to do. So, uh, yeah, we're very, awesome. very helpful. Garden people usually are. So, 
you're pretty grumpy know. old man before they don't talk. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about uh, high yields for uh, like high yield plants? That might be a good idea to plant for if you're trying to feed a large family. Green beans and cucumbers. <laughs> yeah. uh, green beans. Even one plant will provide enough for one person for the whole season. They are amazingly productive plants. Bean plants are just awesome, especially if they have the right growing conditions and right water. They just overproduce, if anything. And then there's your squashes and your potatoes after that for actual production. As you know, everyone tries to give away zucchini every summer. Um, they're just highly productive that way. Potatoes can be also winter squashes like butternut squashes are quite nice because they can they keep very well through the winter. You don't have to really just a cold room is good enough for them. Um, and then there's just like carrots and beets and things like that. I mean, you're planting so few seeds and they produce a huge carrot, you know what I mean? So production wise from seed to, to food is pretty high. I do like tomatoes, especially if you have a hothouse or a greenhouse that you can grow them in. You will have a lot of yield from one tomato plant even. So, yeah. They're pretty decent oh. that way. Awesome. And the next question up is, how would you test or treat soil for better growing conditions? So there are test kits that you can get. Uh, your local nursery does have soil test kits, whether you're acidic, alkaline, where you are on that balance. As to what you have in your earth, it's more of putting your hands in your earth. Is it soft and fluffy and kind of squishy? Like when you squish it, it kind of compacts itself. Or is it hard and clay? Is it sandy? Is it, you kind of know off the bat. I mean, you can always do the little shaker jar test, put a, put half a cup of dirt and uh, fill up your jar and shake it and then see how it separates out through the layers. You'll see the sand, the clay and the dirt and you'll see the mucky water basically. You can kind of see what's actually in your, in your dirt. But even, no even if you had like solid clay dirt kind of thing going on, it's just compost, compost, compost. Add the compost, mix it in, have it on top. Add extra worms if you don't have very many worms in your area. You can add extra worms. Just get it turned over naturally with the earth. So a lot of people start gardens just by tilling it up. Honestly, I don't like tilling. I like the cardboard layer no-dig method. And if you go to YouTube, there are thousands of videos on the no-dig method and thousands of different ways of doing it. I like laying down the cardboard adding the compost on top, watering the heck out of it, and leaving it covered for the winter. And in the springtime, add a bit more compost and then just plant on top. That's the best way to do it if you were in the fall, for instance, and you wanted to start a gar more garden space the next year. So say you had a garden this year and you loved it, and you're like, oh, I want to put more. So this fall, lay down with some cardboard, lay down some compost on top, cover it with a black tarp, let it sit for the whole winter and just produce itself. And then come spring, put a little bit of compost on top, make your rows and plant your garden. Don't bother tilling, just plant. We, uh, like I, I like to say, Mother Nature doesn't have a rototiller. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good she point. She doesn't. Yep. <laughs> and yet the forests and the plants and everything still grow back just as yep. fine, if not better, the next year. So but if you really go and disturb her it. earth, all you get is weeds. And that's what yep. she'll give you. She's like, here you go. <laughs> Good to know. I've actually begun to experiment with the no-till as well. Mm -hmm. It works quite well, actually. Nice. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to switch over to that uh, this year, at least partially. I'm tired of weeding. <laughs> yeah. So no-till, you plant your seeds. As soon as your seedlings are up, you can put down your mulch or your straw or anything you want to put on top for that kind of a thing up against your plants and that keeps the soil more moist it keeps the plants happy and less weeds come up also 
and it's just they're easier and if any weed seeds do fall they're falling on the top of that mulch they're not hitting the dirt so they they fry in the summer sun so good to know and it just looks pretty too like when you have the garden rows <laughs> all done up it just looks nice yep. <laughs> nice and organized exactly awesome uh you want to run with some of uh, ian's questions there jeff You're muted. Nope. <laughs> and I can't unmute you. <laughs> there we go. All good. Um, yeah, so um, we kind of touched a bit on his first one, but I'll ask the question. Is He says, any easy, quote, gateway plants to start in the kitchen window that will save money, something like green onions or, or something similar to that? I mean, you can. The average kitchen window is not the best place to start plants. Um, if you have a grow light system, yeah, start some plants indoors. A lot of people do. Um, I like to have romaine lettuce in the winter. So underneath the grow lights, I have some lettuces there for some fresh salads, that kind of a thing. Um, I don't do anything major until the spring, which is like tomatoes and peppers start up. And any of my flower seeds, I can start early. So I have little baby plants to put out in the garden. Um, peppers and tomatoes are my usual thing everything else i kind of want to start when it's in the garden i don't want to start it in trays for instance so there's only a little bit that i grow i do start my onions inside i start them in january of all times like i my onions are about six inches high already and i'm going to give them their first cut pretty soon um just to boister them so by the time they're ready to go in the garden i have basically green onion sets to put into the garden so i'm starting a little early on those but just trying it out this year, I thought I would try it instead of buying the onion sets. I would make my own onion sets. Um, but those things like that, you can. Like, I've eaten the tops off my onions already for potato salad. So it's pretty simple if you want to do anything like microgreens, for instance, which is like broccoli seeds, sunflower seeds, and different lettuce seeds, and have them just sprout for a couple of weeks, for instance, and then eat that off of that as a salad. You can do that indoors also under grow lights. Nice. Awesome. We've got a couple suggestions in the live a, chat too. Yeah. So we've got uh, Freya here that says kale, lettuce, and even radishes. I would not have thought about radishes, but that's probably not a bad idea. Oh yeah, radishes. Yeah. Radishes are a good cover crop too because they grow up so fast, and you can just mm -hmm. get rid of them and uh, and throw something else in there right away too. You could do a awesome. winter wheat also, just for cheaters. <laughs> we've got Kara here that says uh, turmeric, ginger, herbs, uh, lettuces are good for the window. Mm -hmm. options, I haven't though. tried turmeric yet. Let's try that. Yeah. Awesome. We've got so we, we sort of touched on the next one as well again, but uh, just a, a refresher. So what's the best month to start your seedlings? Uh, and I know you mentioned the growing zones and all of that. So, mm -hmm. um, so on your typical seed package on the back, it will say if growing indoors start X amount of time, before your frost zone so most tomatoes are eight to ten weeks before your frost zone is over um a lot of the, some of the other peppers and stuff are, are even longer than that there's some flower plants for instance which are four weeks before last frost it kind of says right on the package there for you so reading your packages is one of the better things to do actually um the typical time is six to eight weeks before the last frost frost date so would it make a difference if you had a late frost and you held on to them for say another two weeks? Would that really would that cause a problem or not really? Once you've well, got them, well, you end up with a plant that could get a little tall, could get a little stringy. 
Um, growing plant lights, you want to have them as close to the plant as possible. So if that plant's already six or seven inches high, you're running out of space usually with your light systems. Um, so you have this like stringy plant that's been strung out on grow lights for almost too long, and it wants to start producing flowers. It wants to start doing things. The typical plant that it, that it wants to produce its harvest, produce its fruit, right? So right around the six to eight week mark, is when most plants are like, okay, now I'm going to start flowering or now I'm going to start putting out the shoots that I need for my flowers, for instance. And that's when they have extreme root growth happen. That's when they have extreme growth happens all of a sudden. You think, oh, the ceiling's barely moving and all of a sudden she's another extra six inches high in two days. She's hit that kind of growth spurt that happens right around the six week mark. So with tomatoes, usually we repot them into larger pots when you're indoors still and put them underneath, you know, a separate grow light, like a big grow light, um, and then move them out to the garden from there. Or I move them out to the greenhouse at that point because the greenhouse is warm enough, but the outside world isn't yet. So it really depends. If you start too early, you could have a plant that gets to that growth spurt and it's in a little teeny tiny cell pot tray and it's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to burn itself out. It's not, it's not pretty. <laughs> I like to start late just for that reason because you never know. Maybe you have a very cold spring that's happening and your frost line has been moved two weeks on you and you putting a tomato plant out is going to be too cold, for instance. So, yeah. Kind of depends on your area. Cool. I've got a question in the live chat here from Pat uh, just asking, what manure should you stay away from? Uh cow manure the horse manures they all have weed seeds period in them um i personally like rabbit manure if you can find it um alpaca manure is quite nice but it should be aged a little bit um if you have chickens have at least one year old aged chicken manure um just because it's too hot to put right on the garden um mushroom manure is always nice because it's already been used by the mushrooms the mushrooms have taken out the heat as i like to say um stuff like that um do not use dogs or cats or anything like that um i know a lot of people get upset but you can use human manure if you wanted to um there is actually a book out there called human manure <laughs> if you want to look into it that's getting a little desperate in my books um but some people really just need to have the nitrogen content kind of a thing. And then there's fish meal and fertilized and uh, seaweeds or fertilizers and stuff like that that you can find. If you're near the ocean, you could go collect seaweed, rinse it in fresh water and let it dry out and then put that into your, into your dirt. Hmm. But rinse the salt water off first. <laughs> um, so kind of another start ahead sort of question is, uh, anything that has the greatest benefit to start ahead of time in the house to maximize its yield? Uh, this is tomatoes and preppers and peppers, I should say, not preppers. Oh, us too. <laughs> uh, but uh, tomatoes and peppers, just because they have such a long, I, they just keep growing, they just keep producing. So if you can get ahead of that curve and have them producing fruit as early as June, you have right from June till the frost frost date in your thing to to produce those tomatoes and tomatoes continuously grow they're a vine they just keep growing and growing and growing unless you have a determinant type tomato which is a tomato that will only grow about four or five feet high like amish paste and uh, san mazarnos those ones are like a bush tomato 
and they will keep producing right till the end also, but they won't keep growing. Do you know what I mean? Like they might produce a couple of smaller fruit near the end, but they usually have one big fruiting that they do. So, but your average vine tomato that you, you know, a beefsteak tomato that you want to cut up for your hamburger, for instance, it'll keep growing right till it dies of frost. So the sooner you get that girl growing and started in the spring, you're going to have more production over the summer for it. All right. The other, um, the next two questions we've more or less covered off. Uh, basically, what was idiot-proof plants and um, plants for sandy soil? So you said, you know, root vegetables and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, is there a, a rule of thumb for when to move your seedlings outside? This is watching your weather, your 14-day forecast, seeing what's going on, seeing if there's still frost happening in your season. Like when you get close to that time at the end where you're like, is it frosty? Is it not frosty yet? Is it frosty? <laughs> is it not frosty? Um, you can start moving your trays out during the day. Like if it's above five degrees for the day and you can move them out, put them in the sunshine for a couple of hours, move them back inside again underneath the lights again. Sunlight is so much stronger than, than our indoor lights. It's not funny. It's night and day, literally. So having them out in the sun for a little bit, just get them that exposure. You're going to notice they're going to green up a little bit. They're going to like hunker down and stop growing a little bit because they have that sun exposure all of a sudden. They're going to change over that week. So put them out for a couple of hours, bring them back in. Um, and you can do that over the span of a week or two before that last frost date. And then move them out to a location that's outdoors but is semi-shaded like like your north or like your west side of your house, for instance, where they're going to get sun only for part of the day. So you're only getting sun exposure for part of the day. And then after about a week or two of that, you can move them into the garden in the full sun. They're, they're ready to go kind of a thing. Or in my case, I moved my tomatoes and peppers into the greenhouse about a week or two before the last frost. And they're out there and they're growing and they're doing their thing for the rest of the season. So seedlings are very... You got to slowly expose them to the sun if you've been growing them inside. If you're outdoors and they pop out of the dirt, they're fine. They're good to go. <laughs> so they've been exposed to the sun the whole time. They're not going to have a shock. Let's put it that way. Okay. You also take your cue from local farmers. If they start planting, it's uh, probably a pretty good idea. You can start putting stuff like corn and, and other things in the ground as well. Mm-hmm. Especially corn. I wait for the corn guy down the road to put his stuff in. I'm like, oh, it's time. It's time. I'm going to do mine. So he's usually, he's not going to spend all that money and all that seed money and all that time if he thinks it's going to frost. So he'll be on it. <laughs> uh, That's a good point. Yep. Um, he's got another question here, and I'm not sure it but we'll throw it out there. He says, what produces the most calories per input? Uh, would it be a potato? If so, what strain? I'm honestly not 100% sure on this one. I mean, potatoes are kind of the survivor food, so you could survive off potatoes, like I said earlier. Um, that's a hard one. It's probably one of the leafy vegetables out there, like kale or something that is, ugh, I, I can't stand kale. <laughs> but uh, it's probably something productive like broccoli or kale that has the, has a lot of protein packed into it, that kind of a thing. It's hard to see. I mean, it's that's something I would have to look up online, basically. But I do love a good potato, so I would have to vote for them first over kale or something like that. <laughs> 
And uh, so the next question, and I sort of thought about this one, but I didn't put in my question. Um, so what is the best shelf stable garden plant? So, you know, you've, you've already harvested it. What's mm -hmm. the best shelf stable plant? Or, or what so you should So you can keep carrots in damp sand, like in a bucket, you just layer of sand, dampen it, put the carrot in, layer of sand, carrots, carrots, layers, 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 and dampen it the whole time and just take that bucket and set it in your cold room and you'd be good for almost a year or two. Um, carrots are awesome that way. They just sit there and like, we're happy. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of root vegetables you can do the same things with, um, with the beets and the turnips, same kind of a thing. Um, a lot of the winter squashes you can keep for quite a long time get right into the following spring, sometimes into the summer, depending on if your cold room is nice and chilly enough and it's cool enough. Of course, onions and garlic and things like that, you can harvest and keep for quite a long time also. I like canning things away, so I got 10 to 15 years on those babies. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't really uh, worry about that, but you can do cabbage in a cold room too that lasts quite a long time also once it's in there and wrapped up and it's good to go kind of thing. I sun hardened my squash and I had forgotten a strawberry crown squash in my garage that I found this winter from harvest in 2020. And it was, Whoa. I would, I didn't dare, I didn't dare eat it, but it was still pretty solid. Like it, it was, still looked good. Yeah. When I, it still looked good and it felt solid. I was like, all right, I'm not I, eating I this. Cut, I would have cut it and tried out and see what its flesh looked like on the inside. So I wasn't testing my luck. <laughs> You never know what's crawled inside at that point. <laughs> yeah, no, but I was going to say a, squ a sun-hardened squash will last forever as well, given the right conditions. Oh, yeah. I've got a question here from the live chat again from Pat. Uh, just asking, what's a good low-cost covering for your garden? Covering, do they mean by dirt or do they mean by covering for the winter? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, or mulch. Like if it's a covering color mulch, um, there's old hay, there's hay bales that fall apart for farmers, you can grab that. Um, I myself got a free whole dump truck of wood chips from the local wood guy who chops down trees. Um, I'm like, just dump it, and I got a whole bunch of wood chips free from him, because he's otherwise he has to pay the land the um, landfill people. Uh, I think it's almost like 20 bucks to drop that load. So wow. saved yeah. him 20 bucks and he just dropped it in my front yard and now I got the fun of moving it again. Um, yeah, I yeah got my, any of your I, wood, re wood removal people have wood chips going on. So Yeah, I got my name on a list with uh, Hydro One here in Ontario as a, as a drop location for wood chips. So anytime they're in the area, they fill their truck up, they just come and dump it on my property. So you can get those for free. Yeah, you That's get them for free know. most of the time. So. If there is a lot of pine needles in it, that kind of thing, it does produce an acid acidity to it. So just be aware. But you can compost it quite fast if you did a hot compost pile with it, um, which is adding some urea to it, adding some water to it, and you can cook it, cook it up in a couple of months and actually produce compost out of those free wood chips with the pine needles. And that compost, yes, it is a little bit acidic, but not as bad as you think. So you can use that on your garden the next year. So another option there. Add some long slippings to it, mix it in a little bit, and heat it up and go. Awesome. All right. We got any more uh, questions from me in there, Jeff? 
Uh, no, we've we've it? covered the last one there, so uh, I think if she good. if she means like covering dirt, like for the winter time, for that kind of thing, you can get some cheap tarps at the dollar store, and just tack them down, and cover up your dirt for the winter time, so you don't have weed seeds falling on there, and you don't have stuff happening on your garden. So it is good to cover it up until you're ready to plant. Otherwise, you have weed seeds and stuff that produce in the fall and blow everywhere. So if you want to do a new know. bed. Or as Freya mentioned, if you've got leaves, just blow all the leaves straight into your garden and let them sit mm -hmm. there over the winter. Oh, that's the best. Yeah, yeah leaves are awesome. All right. You got some squat, uh, questions, Scott? Yeah, for beginning gar uh, beginner gardeners, would you recommend more of like a raised bed garden or traditional yeah, till, till your yard and throw some seeds in? What, what do you recommend? Uh, this is according to your yard. So if you have a small yard like me, I'm doing raised beds because that's what looks pretty <laughs> inside the yard that I already have, which is all gravel and shrubs right now. So, and a hillside. So I've put some raised beds in to select out this is where it's going to go. I've brought in my dirt, brought in my wood chips. So everything there is kind of what I've only been able to have. Yes, I could bring in a whole bunch of dump trucks of dirt and <laughs> cover the whole gravel area with dirt and just have a traditional garden. It just wasn't feasible for what's going on in my suburbia. Now, if I had an acre or two and I've got land, then yes, I'd do a no-dig garden straight on the dirt. That's the easiest way. You know, less infrastructure to deal with, less things in your way. You can use a little garden tractor if you wanted to even. Um, you can use a lot more of those little tiny utility tools to work your garden rather than just hand labor like it is with a raised bed. But some people like really tall raised beds. So they can be right there. They can pick their vegetables. They can weed almost as if they're at their kitchen counter kind of a thing. So it really depends on what you're doing there. Now, raised beds do have one thing where they have better better circulation for your water, and they heat up a little bit warmer in the spring, so they're less likely to have problems with ceilings and stuff like that because they have good drainage and they have good sun and good warmth. So um, whereas in the dirt, sometimes you get dips and valleys, and you can have flooding on your garden and things like that. So um that kind of a thing can happen. If you get a really heavy rain, you can flood out part of your garden. So with raised beds, that doesn't happen. So it depends on your environment and what you have available to you. If I had the land, yeah, I'd, I have a 50-foot rose going, baby. Um, but I don't have the land, so I've got raised gardens just to keep it pretty and tidy in case I do want to sell this and get some land in the future, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so you can also garden right out of buckets if you're really strapped for space. Oh yeah, Get like five when I had an apartment. Go to town. Yeah, when I had an apartment, I had all kinds of things on my patio. <laughs> it was a little bit of a jungle out there. It was awesome. Um, you can have. I had lettuce year round in this big window there, and everything with their little trays. So you have indoor plants, you have outdoor plants. Same kind of thing. Plant is a plant, really. Just some of them are food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. In terms of setting up a garden, what do you need to do to protect it from the wildlife who sees it as food? I prefer big fences myself. Um, unfortunately, because I live in suburbia, I've only got four foot high fences here. Um, if I had it myself, I would have a six foot fence around my garden of at least 
an inch by inch wire to make sure that critters and things like that could not just walk into my garden and take take away my cabbage. Um, with deer and humans, you want at least six feet um, just to, you know, and if it was a solid fence, that's even better because then they can't see what's on the other side and they don't want to come in anyways. So if you want to make a little palisade around your garden area, <laughs> go right ahead if you have the land. Um, if not, you are dealing with deer and critters coming into your garden. It's very hard to protect a large garden unless you have a, a fence. And even then, I would electrify that fence for critters. You have a line down low, about three inches off the ground, two to three inches off the ground. You can have a line there, and you can have a line near the top also, just for things trying to think about putting their paws up to jump over, for instance. They're going to get zapped. So on top of that, if you have a guardian dog, you can have a guardian dog outside your smaller four-foot fence around your garden to keep, keep critters away. Um, it's probably the only way to do it if you're out in the woods is a is an actual guardian yeah, dog to keep critters away. Yeah, I run a three foot fence around my garden and my dog, which my dog can't jump, but uh, it keeps everything. Uh, he keeps everything mm -hmm. else out of there as well. Exactly. So it's one way to do it. <laughs> um, what do you recommend for seed preservation? Cold rooms, freezer, is there a different quality of seeds from various sources of vendors? Do you harvest your own seeds year to year? If I'm looking to have more seeds available maybe than I'm actually gardening with so that if I need to scale up the, the project at some point, um, how do you recommend managing your seeds? Uh, your average veggie seed that you get at the store, like say for corn for instance, uh, it's still viable for 8 to 10 years. It's just say out of 10 seeds at the eight year mark, you're only going to get three or four of those to actually propagate rather than all 10. Whereas in the first year that seed was produced, you might get nine out of 10 produced out of that seed. So it just goes down for viability after that. Um, but a cold room, I've used one of those um, photo buckets for separating out my seeds and I've got all the packages and their little labels, the tomato seeds, the pepper seeds, whatever, etc. cetera. Um, and then I've got all those in my cold room. So they're in the chill room. A lot of people do freeze their seeds for longer term. I haven't quite experimented with that myself. Um, I hear that you can just keep them in the freezer and then bring them out and they should be just as viable as year one or two. But I have never tried it. So therefore I'll be like hands off on that one. Go for it. Um, but cold room's just fine. Collecting your own seed is hard. I do have a wonderful book called The Complete Guide to Saving Seeds. I don't know if you can see it right now. There you go. Right there by Good. I There's lots of seed books out there about how to collect your seeds. I've done cucumbers, pumpkins, squashes. All those guys are pretty easy to collect from. Uh, carrots is a bit harder because you have to go into a second year of carrots before you'll get actual carrot seed um, and things like that. So there's stuff to experiment in your garden if you want to keep some in there for the season and let it come back up the next year and flower. Um, it's kind of cool to do. And everyone's had their lettuce go to seed before. <laughs> um, that kind of a thing. I let some broccoli go to seed last year. I'm just experimenting as to if it came back this year or not. So I'll be looking at that pretty soon. But um, you can collect seeds from most of the vegetables that you do produce in your average garden. And of course, seed potatoes is another thing. Like you can keep your seed potatoes over the winter. There are number of ways to keep them over the winter so you can plant them in this in the spring again so there is that factor too especially for potatoes which are kind of nice so there's ways to do it as to companies and things like that try and find one local 
Um, they're the people that are producing seed in your area. So you're, they're conditioned to your area. So I'm in BC. I like West Coast seeds myself, but a lot of people even on the East Coast will buy from West Coast seeds just because they have really good product. Um, and then there's other things like Vessies, all a bunch of other mail order companies out there for seeds, um, burpee seeds, all that kind of stuff you find in the store, McLean seeds and things like that. Um, just go with a reputable dealer. If you'll see them, they're out there. There's a couple of them out there. You can go for your local um, seed exchange on Facebook also. There's a lot of groups for seed exchanges now where people are like, oh, I've got this type of tomato. Would you like to try it? And they, they exchange seeds that way too. So you can actually do that. Just be aware of things on eBay. This is where the biggest issue comes is eBay people have been known to be very big scammers. So where they're sending you seed, but that's not what grows and your money's already long gone at that point. <laughs> so just be aware of getting it local if you can. And then from your own garden would be awesome also if you want to put on, put in the work for that. So I've had really good luck uh, 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 keeping my own pepper seeds. Mm -hmm. they, they've been the easiest for me. Peppers are pretty easy. Tomatoes, they need a little bit of fermentation before you can save them usually, but they're uh, they're worth yeah. it, though. It's worth it. I've got some heritage varieties that you can't find on the store, so the only way I can do the seeds is if I keep them. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I did that with some something called an OG German tomato last year. I really liked it. They were like a, an mm -hmm. orange slicer tomato. And uh, oh, nice. I took a I took a stab I took a stab at uh, at preserving some seeds. We'll see if it uh, it pulls through this year, though. I have some Ukrainian Mennonite tomatoes that have been passed down. So I have some of those that I grow every year just to keep the seeds fresh more than anything. And they're just a beautiful paste tomato. So they're good for ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of watering your garden, do you guys recommend uh, you know, a weeper hose dug into the soil, a drip watering system? Uh, obviously plants need water. What's the best way to mm -hmm. deliver it? I like a drip system, especially if you have larger plants like cabbages, etc. then you have, they all have their drip kind of a thing. Um, when it comes to like carrots and all the tiny stuff, I like to have just a good soaker hose that's going through laying on top of the soil just to soak down. If you have to use a sprinkler, but having it on the earth is where you want your water, especially in a vegetable garden. You don't want the leaves getting sprayed, especially tomatoes. They hate getting wet. They're just pesky little things. Same with peppers. They want to keep their heat. They don't like being sprayed down. So it's water the dirt, not the plant. So no matter what you're doing, think about that when you're watering your stuff. So having a big overhead sprinkler just going, you're wasting water number one and number two it's not that effective for the plant so half the time it's dripping out of their zone and you want to get to their roots you want to get down especially with root crops you want to get right down to the roots you don't want it being even five inches away especially when it's hot outside like it is where i am it gets up to plus 45 here so you want it right on the dirt as much as possible so soakers and drip depending on the plant so okay um, a question I kind of put in towards the end, um, what are some of the biggest pitfalls that beginner gardeners are going to get tripped up by? Doing too much your first year. <laughs> Pick five or six plants that you love to eat and grow those and grow a lot of them. 
Um, grow them well. Learn how to grow the ones that you love the best first. Don't go picking some random mashed potato squash, for instance, <laughs> and try it out. And you don't know if you even like to eat it or not. Buy what you eat first and grow what you eat first. And try it out. Get Know how your potatoes grow. I love potatoes. I've grown them my whole life. I can go out. I'm buying weirdo varieties now just to try them because I know I can grow them and grow them well and I know how to grow them. So but start off with what you eat. Don't get hooked into some fancy smancy stuff that you see like, oh, I want to try that. You can try it. It's just get your your top six to ten down that you eat that first year. Then the next year, once you have some chops, <laughs> you can go and start experimenting and trying things out with different containers, different things that you're doing, that kind of a thing. Um, add some flowers to your garden. That's the other thing. A lot of people just think it has to be this like vegetables, vegetables, vegetables. Add some marigolds. They're really good about and things like that. Add some flowers into your garden. It doesn't have to be just food. You want to have those pollinators come by for your plants anyway. So the flowers will attract those pollinators and you'll get a better harvest from your tomatoes because you have some cosmos nearby or you have some mint nearby that's blooming, for instance. So you want to mix and match your plants a little bit that way is the other thing that I mint see. Is it's obvious. just too sterile. Mint is <laughs> mint in its own pot. It's in a bucket, right? Yeah, it's in its own yeah. pot. <laughs> do not plant mint in the dirt. <laughs> Number one <laughs> for a beginner, do not plant mint anywhere in the dirt. They are for pots only. Otherwise, it will take over your whole garden. That's um, one of the few things I know about gardening. <laughs> uh, and sage is just as bad. I have a the people who were here the year or the people that gardened in this garden before they planted sage as part of like the dis the display of the shrubberies there's sage everywhere in my yard it is a plague upon me so <laughs> i dig it up every spring and there's still four or five bunches that i miss and then they spread their seeds everywhere and it's pretty bad but yeah stick to what you eat the first year round and then you can if you still want to try a, a mashed potato squash then have a mashed potato squash but make sure that you have your typical butternut squashes or that kind of guys that you eat all the time. Grow those first and learn them first. That is one of the biggest pitfalls is trying to do way too much their first year. Just stick to six or ten plants and grow them well. And research them and give them exactly what they need. So, And go from and there. Don't overplant. People plant too yes. close together and end up strangling so, them, themselves out. An example is seven cucumber plants last year gave me ten quarts of pickles seven plants 10 quarts of pickles so you don't need 15 plants of pickles you don't need 20 you don't need a row of 20 pickles you'll be have so many pickles you'll be giving them out left right and center you only need one or two zucchini plants you do not need six unless you're feeding like five boys and four girls kind of thing <laughs> and even then i'd be surprised <laughs> six zucchini plants would put you back you only need one or two of that kind of a thing Potatoes, you can go overboard on potatoes because you can keep some as seeds, as seed potatoes for the next year, and you can always can them and eat them, and, you know, mashed potatoes are good any day. So, and carrots, you can always have extra carrots because kids will eat them as the year, as the garden goes by through the summer. You're going to lose half your crop to children anyways when it comes to carrots because they'll just pick them and keep going, um, which is awesome. Peas are the same kind of thing. You can never have too many peas or beans, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, you can cut back on the cucumbers, trust me. <laughs> 
But yeah, you don't need as many plants as you think because the harvest continues quite a long time for a month or two of harvesting. So, And I would also suggest pay attention to companion planting or rather enemy planting as I call it. You don't want to have cross-pollination between things that don't go well together. I had cucumbers cross-pollinate with tiger melons last year and it was the worst tasting it was it was horrible it was it was so bitter it was just ungodly yeah. stick to your separate and plant that was groups. all because of, <laughs> yeah yeah i wasn't paying attention and that happened to me we also got squatter melons one year we called them uh spaghetti squash <laughs> and a watermelon mixed together it was a it was very strange <laughs> Keep your plant types apart. So if you have two two different kinds of peas that you want to grow, they're on opposite sides of the garden. I got these Alaska peas, the what I call the the green peas, or you have the Alaska peas, your your split peas basically on the one side, and on the other side of the garden, I had the green beans on the opposite side, just to make sure they didn't cross pollinate too much. So you want to make sure that you keep those plants separate, not right next to each other. Yeah, same for, with zucchini instance, and butternut squash. I keep them on separate sides also keep them apart from each and other. Corn, and corn as well. If you're going to grow varieties of corn, like you're going to have your peaches and cream and then you're going to have something else, I recommend mm -hmm. at least 25 feet between each uh, each row or each uh, yeah. section of, of, of said corn. And if you try and grow popcorn, have it on the opposite side of the house, like half an acre away. <laughs> like, otherwise, your regular corn will be uh, a little bit more small and tiny and hard than you think. So it does not dry well. So, but popcorn is really fun to grow though. I do advise it. Do it at least once. Try grow popcorn. It's a different Maybe kind of corn. It's a different kind of corn, but keep it way separate from your regular corn because it's a tinier kernel and it's a tighter kernel and it's, it dries out very quickly. So, hmm. and then your regular corn just goes to shot. So <laughs> it's not good, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, the best thing you can do for your garden every day is to visit it. That is the number one prescription for gardening, is to be in there every day. Visit your seedlings every day when they're underneath the lights. Give them, make sure they have their water, make sure everyone's happy, check on things, harvest what you want and need to harvest right then and there. If you notice a tomato's ready to pick, pick it, because the oh. next day a bug's got it or someone else has attacked it, <laughs> and that tomato's going to be gone. So, yeah, the best thing you can do for your garden is visit it every day if you're growing it. Well, that's awesome. It's a really good uh, spot to start, and you've, you've definitely answered a couple of my questions. I'm going to change a few things around here. It's uh, still very much so new to the gardening thing as well. So appreciate uh, appreciate all your time and uh, and information. I'm sure it's going to be useful to everybody that's uh, that's listening. So that yeah, uh, got, there's, there's one question there from Pat. If you don't, uh, oh sure, I'll yeah. ask it because it's kind of interesting to me too. So he wants to know how deep do you till your garden? Uh, how many times and when's the best time to do it? I don't till. <laughs> I just add compost and I kind of mix it into the top inch or two of dirt. So tilling brings up seeds from the past that have dug down deep, mostly weed seeds. Um, so I don't till. Even if I were to start a very, very large garden, I would not till. I would basically lay down a whole bunch of cardboard, like your, your basic no-dig garden kind of premises. I lay down cardboard or some kind of surface and kill off what was there and add compost on top of that and then wait over the winter for the next spring to grow in that surface and just let it go. And like I said, Mother Nature doesn't have a rototiller. 
So there are ways to start your garden. If I'm doing a really big garden, I'd be starting in the fall. And that would be laying down the cardboard, collect it over the whole summer if I can, or protect local recycling center, go ask them for a brick of cardboard and lay it down and add your compost on top and cover it for the winter with a black tarp. And then come the spring, plant in it. You might your till feed the top stores. surface a little bit and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, your feed stores will have you have a lot of uh, large squares of cardboard as well available. That's where I get mine uh, oh, between yeah. the pallets of uh, feed and seed. So you can go there and they'll have it ready for you. And furniture yeah, I would vote on the no-till as well. <laughs> yeah, furniture stores have large pieces of cardboard that they usually are compacting up. But if you can get a hold of them and go, hey, can you collect it just for a week for me and I'll come pick it up? They'll let you do that also at furniture stores because you have the you know your fridge boxes and your sofa boxes and stuff that come in. And that's some nice pieces of large cardboard to cover up a lot of space. So, so if you put your compost and all that on top of the uh, the cardboard in the, mm -hmm. the fall, and then you go back in the spring, should you mix that up before you plant, or just go ahead and nope, plant? nope. <laughs> you can actually add more compost. Like if you had a hot bed of compost that you were cooking over the winter, like a really big pile of um, wood chips that you got from somebody in the fall, you'd add your own compost on top, the new fresh compost on top. Um, if you have rabbits manure that you've been collecting for the whole winter, you'd sprinkle that on top also and then just rake the surface a little bit and plant your stuff. I would not till. Don't touch it. Mother Nature's got her layers already set up. She's got her worms moving. She's got everything going through that. All the micronutrients that's in there is getting its process. So as soon as you disturb those layers that she's created, you're going to end up with weed seeds and no nutrients for the plant roots. The plants have to go down into those layers, and they'll pick up the nutrients as they get there. Yeah, there, that's a that's a discussion for a whole another day on permaculture yeah, and the damages of, mo of modern agriculture and whatnot. Mm -hmm. That's how we got to where we are modern, right now. Yeah. Yeah. No modern agriculture, as you were asking earlier, Jeff, why they're paying people not to farm land is to give that land a break because desertification can happen easily when we're when we're introducing. Uh, synthetic uh, fertilizer chemicals into the land over and over and over again. You're just adding and not, it's just taking and taking and taking and uh, eventually it'll turn to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've always been nervous too about all of these genetically modified seeds and all that stuff and you know, what, what's, what's really in it and whatever too. So. Yeah. There are ways to commercial farm and do it. No dig. There are people doing it. They're just a little bit harder to find, but there are people doing no dig as commercial farmers and they are having excellent crops and I'm hoping they continue to do so. They're making more per acre than cash crop farmers on uh, modern agriculture these days. Yep. Mm -hmm. wow. It's it's a revolution and it is starting. It is starting to get out there. I think it's about five years ago. There was a small documentary about it on Netflix. I don't know if it's still there or not. Every, it is. Every person who hears yeah. Every person who hears I'm a homesteader, like, oh, you should watch Big Little Farm on Netflix. Oh, I think that's, that's what it's yeah. called. Yeah, yeah Big, Big Little Farm. Farm. If you're interested about modern agriculture, that's the, you know, it's it's worth the hour and a half, two hours to, to go ahead and watch that on how to pre prepare your soil and whatnot. Yeah, awesome. it's so nice. And, no and, chill, it can be done anywhere, in my opinion. And I would say, too, on top of that, then um, you should be cognizant I, I guess would be the word to like how much do you rotate your crops so that you don't have the same one planted in the same place all the time would it 
deplete I only the rotate when there's really been a problem. Have to do that or not too much or? Well, I only rotate when I, there's I, been a problem. So. I, I wrote my tomato. I rotate my tomatoes every year for nemat uh, to avoid nematodes, but that's just mm -hmm. more my area. That's an issue in my area. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, you can rotate if there's a problem. So if I had really bad squash bugs one year in one area in one of my beds, that no squash there for a long time. Like I'll move them opposite far away from wherever that was. And I'll even remove that dirt sometimes because squash bugs are terrible. But um, yeah. for like tomatoes, like you said, with the nematodes, if you have an issue, that's it. I remove everything and it's gone. That's, that's gone because I've got raised beds. I can, I have the option of taking that dirt right out and getting rid of it. Um, but if you're on a, you're actually in a garden garden situation, then yeah, you just don't plant in that area again for at least two or three years. You put something else there, like a cover crop, like a winter wheat, or even like some beans. Beans love everything. They change the soil wherever they go. They're real nutrient. They put nitrogen back in the soil, in fact. So um, you can always plant some bush beans, some cassolette beans would be really nice. They're so tasty. But yeah. Well, awesome. That's uh some good information and like I said I'm going to be changing a few things around here and I'm sure some of the listeners are going to be changing some stuff as well after listening to the episode so appreciate you guys taking the time to, to come out and share your knowledge yeah, I apologize that. for my camera work we have uh, a fresh batch of kittens here and I was trying to juggle them <laughs> while <laughs> while they were everywhere and, and I was trying to make it look professional but uh, it, was, it was well done it was some really good cat wrangling you had going on there that's good <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Well, with that, shall we uh, move into the podcast challenge? Sure. So your uh, podcast challenge for this week is uh, start a planter on your kitchen windowsill with something that you would otherwise throw out. Um, a green onion, celery, chai, just give something a try, see what happens. Awesome. We've got some upcoming events. Maple seed is starting up again. Uh, check mapleseedrifleman.com slash events to see what uh, what's going on in your area. And uh, as we've been saying the last couple of weeks, uh, the annual preppers meet is starting back up. So that's in uh, Desborough, Ontario, running from the 7th to the 10th of July. So you can uh, check out mm -hmm. annualpreppersmeet.com. Uh, they've got a Facebook group as well if you're on the, uh, the Book of Faces. So you can uh, check that out. Keep saying every week it's a pretty good outing lots of good knowledgeable people that are willing to share all kinds of information so it's worth checking out if uh, you got some time over those days where is desmoro ontario uh that would be is that west yeah west uh, western yeah. ontario hmm. yeah. i'm gonna say the saint mary sort of general uh, yeah. area oh okay right there yeah so i gotta work <laughs> oh come on carmen it's only yeah. a two and a half day drive what? Yeah. oh i couple, gotta support my flight. garden habit <laughs> i am trying mashed potato squash this year though that's the biggest thing i got nice. they're supposed to taste nice. like mashed potatoes when they're baked so ooh, ooh. i'm excited <laughs> i'm sure we'll hear about it all right so moving the deal of the week yes definitely send pictures uh, yep. This deal of the week is purely for Carmen. <laughs> what are the odds that uh, th this episode happens to have throwing knives and axes around oh. stuff? 30% off at Cabela. <laughs> 30%? Okay, we'll have to yep. go online. 
Yep. There's no Cabela's in my area, though. I'd have to go they down ship. to the coast for that. They ship? Okay. They'll ship. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let Steve know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. And shout-outs. A uh, quick shout-out to listener uh, Darren G. Met uh, episode number 111th uh, podcast challenge by uh, earning a uh, standard first aid certificate. So, well done. Bravo. Keeps, keeps cleaning up on the uh, podcast challenges. Uh, I got to shout, uh, shout out Carmen and Alex. Uh, thank you guys for putting so much work into this episode. Like, <laughs> they, they, I believe you mean Carmen. I have literally done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did want to include you, Alex, but yeah, Carmen put it no, awful. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. I know everything. <laughs> I think it's her modesty that people like I'm most about her. I think so. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> right. We did have a couple of emails come in uh, to the inbox, but I will save them just uh, to save some time here. I'll save them for next episode. But uh, there were a few that came in. Uh, and with that, uh, I will bring episode number 156 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out, submit a review. It does help other people find us. And we do rec- record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That will give you an alert when we go live. If you've got any questions for me, you can just send it in to feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. I am also not responsible enough to have my own email address, so it's monitored <laughs> at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. I am responsible enough. So <laughs> I can be reached at microsetting at gmail.com, and I would love to connect with you. If you have any questions, let me know. Awesome. Any way to get a hold of you, and Alex? I do not check my email nearly enough at all. <laughs> Fair enough. If you want to get a hold of Alex, you can flip an email to feedback at prepperpodcast.ca as well. I'll make sure it gets to him. Smoke signals as well. (laughs) Smoke signals work? Perfect. Just send smoke signals. signals. Skip skip email altogether. (laughs) Uh, For for myself, if you want to check out uh, Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com, you can get me there on the live chat. You can also email me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And thanks for uh, joining us this evening. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning.